If you can imagine all these big corporations, I mean, from the largest of the large name brands that you know and maybe use, all of them are grappling with how do we face society in the world? And it's really hard to do that when you don't have a black voice at the table to represent. So from a business perspective, my phone wouldn't stop ringing. My name is Linda Laurel, and I'm asking you to have the courage to listen with an open mind to all of our voices, because our voices matter. I want to take a moment to thank BMW of West Houston for sponsoring this episode of our Voices Matter podcast. BMW, of course, is known as the ultimate driving machine because of its precision and power. As someone who has driven a BMW for many years now, I can attest to that firsthand. But I think what's even more important, especially about this particular BMW dealership, is that it understands the power and the impact of giving back to its community. BMW of West Houston is known for its support of countless local charities, and that is important to us here at Our Voices Matter podcast. So if you choose to do business with BMW of West Houston, not only will you be getting the stellar first-class service that the dealership is known for, but you can also rest assured that you are doing business with a dealership that truly cares about and gives back to its community. Hey, everybody, it's Linda Laurel. Welcome to another episode of Our Voices Matter podcast. This is one of those days where I'm literally pinching myself saying, how lucky am I that I get to do this podcast and interview these incredible guests? And one of them is my guest today. Her name is Toni Harrison. So Toni and I met maybe three or so years ago when we were officing in the same place and we hit it off instantly, found out that we had a lot in common. But I have to tell you, interviewing her today, I learned even more about her amazing backstory and how she's using the lessons that she was taught as a child about having passion and purpose and leaving this world better than when you when you came into it. Um, all of those things are so integral to who she is and the work that she is now doing today as the chief marketing officer of a brand new fintech company called FAIR. Our conversation is wide ranging and inspirational, and uh, I just can't wait for you to hear it. So here now, my conversation with Tony Harrison. Tony, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to finally get you because we've been been circling around this for quite some time and then a little thing called COVID got in the way. So how are you, my friend? I am doing very well. It is exciting to be here and thank you for having me. Um, We have had a lot of things happen, haven't we? From um, George Floyd to COVID to Stop Asian Hate. (laughs) So... um, Lots of things going on, and um, I'm I'm so happy and honored to be here for this uh, conversation. Well, I, I, you know, and I, I really want to talk about all of those things, um, and that's one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you. But um, first, I, I want to find out, because I never have asked you this question, what drew you to journalism, marketing, PR? Why did you choose this as your profession? You know, it's... <laughs> 
It's not as glamorous as one may think. I was always told and believed that I would go to medical school. You know, that sort of, you know, parents have these images of what their kids are going to do. And I was going to be the doctor and my sister was going to be the attorney, which she did become. <laughs> and freshman year, University of Texas at Austin, I was in a course. It was a, a pre-med, a pre-pre-med course, right? Freshman year. And I had zero passion for it. I didn't enjoy it. And I thought four years, then more education. I really want to enjoy what I'm doing. Yeah. And you know, you're you're at school, so they go see your advisor and take this exam. It'll tell you. And it came back and it said journalism, something I had never considered. And my advisor said, I'll put it to you like this. You have to take these two courses to even apply for the journalism school. If you decide you don't like them, they do qualify as electives for any other major you choose. So you're not wasting your time. Why don't you try it? And the first course was critical thinking. Linda, <laughs> I was never late. I was never sick. <laughs> like, wow. I loved the course. You found I, your jam right there. I did. <laughs> I did. And it was critical thinking and then storytelling for journalists. Those two courses rocked my world in the best way. I found my passion of communicating stories, giving a voice sometimes when there is no voice. And I looked at journalism as an opportunity to do that and never looked back, <laughs> never wow. looked back, stayed in and around the industry, um, became a journalist, worked with CBS News, uh, decided to go on the public relations side where I could still use my writing and media knowledge, but more in the corporate space. And I love everything about it, even the stressors that come with it, how it can be unpredictable. We don't know what the story is until we wake up, what happened overnight, and, and even seeing how the world is changing and how we consume and embrace news. Hmm. And, you know, from getting the morning paper, which is something I saw my father do to now I have text alerts and I don't have to wait <laughs> for anything. The news is going to come to me. And it has been, you know, the the industry has probably changed. And I'm sure you can relate to this more in the past 10 years than it had in the past 50. Yeah. yeah. Just yeah. with technology. And it, it's, it's been interesting. And like, it, I said, it, it has yeah. changed everything. Uh, some, some, some of it for the better and some of it, not so much. And that that's a whole nother podcast. So we, <laughs> we can do that at some point, but so fast forward to now, and you are the chief marketing officer of a brand new company called fair, yes. fair FinTech incorporated. Yes. So give us a, a snapshot version of what FAIR is and your role with the company. Sure. So FAIR is a neobank, which is a fancy word for digital banking. Um, digital banking and, and technology has exploded, especially following COVID. If you imagine when people couldn't get to a bank to deposit a check or um, digital became the norm for many people. Um, and now you have banks that are entirely online. And we are one of those. But we don't just exist to be a bank. We are mission-driven. And our, our cause and charge is to really solve the racial wealth gap 
as well as dismantle systems that make it hard for immigrants and other marginalized populations to have financial freedom. If you look at, you know, standing in line to send money transfers, and then I have to pay a percentage fee here and a percentage fee there. Um, many, many people who do that are what are, we call unbanked, right? They, they don't have regular checking and savings accounts. Um, and you can't really operate that way, not in the world. So we're existing to break down those systems to bring access to banking and finance on one platform. So we're full neo-banking, also full financial services. So robo-investing, that's investing online, much like you see with Robinhood and, and groups like that, as well as lending, home lending, auto lending, except because we're aiming to solve the racial wealth gap, we are not going to charge interest on our loans. Our loans will be equity-based. Um, that's intentional. Right. Interest is really a revenue stream. So very excited. It's blistering fast pace in fintech right now, because following COVID, what we did see is digital's the way. And so from, from a fundraising perspective, I don't know the numbers, but the venture capital investments in fintech are record breaking astronomical in 2021 because everybody realizes that if we shut down again, you need your money. You need to be able to access your money. You need to be able to use your money just to live. Uh -huh. um, my role as the chief marketing officer is to put us on the stage and make sure we actually reach the people, not only who, who are in need of something like FAIR, but who can benefit from it. And so that looks like social media, digital, PR, uh, podcasts, <laughs> <laughs> advertising, um, influencers, uh, you know, who's on TikTok and how can we make them make FAIR part of that? All of those things fall under my umbrella. And I can tell that you are so excited and passionate about the mission and, and what you're going to get to do. It's really, I mean, your skill set is perfect for this role because you have the background and all of those things that you just that you just talked about. And I, I know that the, the founder of the company is himself an immigrant. So tell me a little bit about that and, and how that his his own story plays into the mission of, of what FAIR is all about. Absolutely. Well, it's, it's really interesting because neither one of us have a background in banking or finance. I was just going to say, because, you know, most <laughs> journalists, I mean, we're in journalism because we hate math. Right. I mean, it's just we're it's just yeah, we've never been about the numbers. So uh, so kudos to you, my friend, for, <laughs> for taking on taking on the banking world. Yeah, you know, we his his mission, again, he's not a banker or a finance person. His background is in IT. And what he said to me was, I'm aiming to solve a problem I experienced myself. Hmm. I came to the US from Mumbai, India. I had very little money and I had family who helped me get here for opportunity. I had to pay them back. I worked in a gas station. We had a family friend who was already here who owned gas stations and he allowed me to work in his gas station. And luckily for Khalid, our CEO, he was very good at fixing cell phones. And so we started fixing them from his car at the gas station. That evolved into his first IT company. Um, it is now 18 years old. It's called AMSYS. And when he came to the US, he said, you know, it was so hard. You go to a bank, you want a bank account. I'm here, going to work. Well, 
you know, there's this period of time where you, you may have your visa and you're legal, but you don't have a social security number. You also don't have credit. You, you're highly unlikely, unless maybe Spanish, um, sometimes Vietnamese, Chinese. It's very hard to find banking documents in your language so you can understand it. And banking systems in the U.S. are very different than other places. For example, there are countries that only have equity-based lending and not interest-based lending. And so he said it was complicated, it was tricky, and it almost ruined my opportunity because here I was doing something, you know, yes, it's from my car, but if I could get a bank account, then maybe I can get a lease and then maybe I can, but all of those things are stopped. And he said, if I'm ever rich enough, I'm going to start a bank to solve this. And his companies, they grew, they grew to revenue of $350 million in 18 years. And he said to me, I was his agency. So I previously had an agency prior to this that specialized in multicultural communication and connecting with different multicultural groups. And I was helping him in the brand development phase. One of his IT clients said, you should talk to Tony. She knows we clicked, we hit it off. And he calls me one day and he says, you know, I'm really tired of sharing your time with lots of clients. And we have a mission here. And I would love for you to come over as my CMO and and to be my partner in this mission and, and, and getting this out. And when I looked at the stats and I saw that, you know, and I look at the wealth gap and as a black woman, of course, you take things very, very personally. And I I look at, you know, black women being the most educated in terms of advanced degrees, but also being one of the groups that have the highest amount of debt because of the amount of debt we take on to get that education. And when I look at stats that say the average black family has 13 times fewer the wealth than the average white family. And then you look at the root causes of that and you learn that it's about generational wealth and the ability to pass things on and the ability to get education and not take on debt because someone left something to you. And then you see the numbers in the black and Hispanic communities and the intergenerational transmission of wealth doesn't happen at the same rate at all. Mm -hmm. And that's when I said, I don't have to be a banker or finance. I'm not making the banking technology. (laughs) But what I do know is human connection. And what I do know is a lot of us stand to benefit and gain and prosper in a way that's beneficial to society and to us and to the generations behind us. So, yeah, I'm going to join you on that mission and let's do it. And here we are um, looking to launch September 15th and uh, bring these services and access to, to everyone. You know human connection and you also know story. You know the power of story and how to tell a story. Um, I want to know a little bit more about your backstory sure. and why this mission speaks to you in such a profound way. Oh, well, I, I love to say I come from a family of serial overachievers and one lesson that was taught was leave everything better than you found it. If you can make an impact just by doing that, make something better. If you can walk with purpose, 
I can hear my father, he's passed away now, but I can hear him saying that you must walk with purpose. So even when I decided, hey, I don't want to go to medical school, it was, well, what are you going to do and what are you going to achieve through that? And I, I hold those lessons so close and so dear. Um, my grandmother, what that meant for her, she was a civil rights activist. She was the first black woman to ever step in front of the Texas legislature. Why? To have human sweat admitted to the University of Texas Law School. Um, she had many missions and causes. She's one of the founders who helped bring Texas Southern University, which was then called Texas University for Negroes, to Houston to start it so, so that we could have a place to educate. Then you fast forward to my father, who was a gifted and talented athlete, and he, he could play basketball like no other. And he went to North Carolina Central and played basketball and became the first Black All-American basketball player. And at the time, they said, well, you can't play in the NBA. That's for white players. There's a team for you. It's just starting. It's called the Harlem Globetrotters. It will be the one team we allow Black players to play on. Can you imagine that? Blacks can't play basketball. And they said, you can be on that team. And so he was drafted to the Harlem Globetrotters as the first Black All-American, as an original. And both of them so different, but yet still so mission-driven. So within being a Globetrotter, he wasn't just a player on the court. Um, the U.S. government actually sent him to Russia to meet with Nikita Khrushchev during the Cold War. Yes, it was a peace offering. It was a peace offering because America, um, now now that I know enough to know, um, it was also on the other side, you know, America was receiving so much criticism for for our our prejudiced ways and, and, and the racism that was happening. And so part of that was, hey, Let's send these a few gifted and talented athletes, all from the Harlem Globetrotters who are black, to Russia to show what America is about and to bring the spirit and happiness of America. So my father, Wilt Chamberlain, Meadowlark Lemon, names you've probably heard, went to Russia to meet with Gorbachev and Khrushchev. And they did. And I have pictures. I, there's even a documentary about it. I'll, I'll happily send you a link that ESPN Please did. Do. And, and tell our audience your father's first name. So we'll know. And I haven't done that. I keep calling him dad. I keep calling him dad. <laughs> His name is Charles Tex Harrison. And he went by Tex. And everybody knew him as Tex. And Tex became the name when he went to North Carolina for school because he was 6'5" light skin, blue eyes, and from Texas. And that was just the most, this guy is like a character of some sort. And so um, his nickname was text. And it's all I ever knew him as is my daddy is text. Wow. What a beautiful, rich history your family has and, and how, you know, how inspiring it is that, that, they instilled in you everything that that you are now about and paying forward and doing with your life. And I can see now why you are so purpose and mission driven as you as you go about making your mark on the world and making sure that you leave it a, a better place. And um, oh, my goodness. Uh, I mean, you know, we haven't known each other that long, maybe two or three years, but I had no idea about some of the history of your family. Um, it's, oh my goodness. And, and now you're just, you're just carrying the torch 
forward. So you mentioned when we first started talking, you, you know, reeled off George Floyd and uh, of course COVID. And, um, you know, we've been talking about the racial wealth gap and we're living in this really tumultuous, chaotic time. Um, First of all, how are you as a black woman who has had to navigate these last year and a half, two years, as all of us have, mm-hmm. um, but how are you doing emotionally, et cetera? You know, um, I'm usually the one who keeps it all together because that's, you know, in journalism. I know, because that's, that's what we do. That's that's what what we do. Um, but if, I, if I'm honest, it's hard. It's, it's, and it's actually harder than it was before. Um, maybe some of that's on me, but I'll explain what I mean. When George Floyd happened, from a business perspective, it was amazing for me. Why? Well, one, one service area that I had with my agency was crisis management. George Floyd is definitely a crisis. The, the public relations marketing industry is about 88% white. Um, so there aren't a lot of Blacks, definitely not a, black, a lot of Black females. So if you can imagine all these big corporations, I mean, from the largest of the large name brands that you know and maybe use, all of them are grappling with how do we face society in the world? And it's really hard to do that when you don't have a Black voice at the table to represent. So from a business perspective, my phone wouldn't stop ringing. It's like, oh, there's a Black female who does this. Let's call her. Um, and, and I think, you know, a lot of times, like we, we see people's professional successes and we see, oh, wow, she's busy. She's going. She's, she's got it. And not realize that sometimes that's who it's really hard for. One, because you have a full view of both sides right? You see the others. I've been in the boardrooms of like, is this really going to matter? Is this just a diversity trend that will go away? Can you just write a statement? No, I can't. Um, So it's like on one hand, you have this success, but on the other hand, it's like, I have to make sure back to that word purpose. And I'm not just doing this. Sure. Company A, I'll write that for you and we'll make you look great. And all the PR will be wonderful. Um, On the personal side though, I think that's where my struggles have been really hard. Um, You know, back to the professional success, I have actually heard friends say, oh yeah, Tony, but that's like other black people, not you, you're different. How? What are you talking about? Oh, well, Tony, you know, I don't see race. No, I need you to see it. I want you to see it. And I want you to see that I'm a black woman and I'm affected the exact same way no matter how, what my professional resume looks like, no matter which schools I attended. And it's really hurt some friendships. You know, some, there were some times where there were difficult conversations where I had to pull a friend aside to say, hi, do you remember that I'm black? Do you realize what I'm going through? You know, you're on group text messages and friends are sending jokes and memes and things like that. And some of those conversations went really well. Tony, you're right. That was offensive. I never realized you were dealing with it that way. But then there were other friends who were like, well, I don't understand. I mean, now it's reverse racism. You're supposed to get the attention now, like Black people are supposed to get this. And 
it was a struggle. I've, I've lost a few friends. It hurts. It's painful. And I don't think it's over. I think there are still so many conversations we need to have. As uncomfortable as they are, I'm ready for them. Because you've probably heard me say this, communication leads to collaboration, mm-hmm. which is also why we cannot have the, I don't see color. That's why. Yeah. We have to see it and recognize it. But it's been hard. Long answer. Very sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. Please do not apologize. I, um, I, I, I feel you. And um, I've had some of those conversations as well. And um, so when someone says to you, I don't see race mm-hmm. and uh, and now, you know, it's reverse racism now, you know, black people are supposed to get all the attention. W- what about us? How what is what's your answer? How how do you respond to that in you know, the moment? It, it is a really hard question to answer. And I typically say it like this. Save the whales doesn't mean hurt the other fish. It doesn't mean they don't matter. It means whales are in danger right now. Let's be cautious and take extra care. And that's that's, that's what a lot of this is. No one is saying, oh, because I'm Black, I deserve this or that. It's, no, we're going through something right now. Our people are being killed. This, there are stats. And if the, if the stats aren't enough for you, watch the video, all eight minutes of just one. Watch the video and believe your eyes, believe what you're seeing, not what the spin is. Right. Exactly. And so it's, no, that's not what it is. What we're trying to do is get on that even playing field. We've heard so much about our lives. Oh, you've got to get on the same page. You've got to be on even playing field. We're trying. That's, that's, that's what this is about. And that's why you have to notice because we can't get on the even field. If you don't notice that my field is 10 feet below. I love the way you explained that such great um, visual analogy to, um, to really drive the point home. So how are you utilizing your personal experience and your perspective in this new role with FAIR? Few ways. One, it's about access, right? So looking at avenues that aren't traditional marketing, like, yes, we have to advertise and things like that, but how can we join audiences? How do we meet them where they are? If financial literacy was that easy, we'd probably have better stats on our financial literacy in America. It doesn't happen by talking to someone. It happens by joining with them. So in everything that we do, for example, second hire was about community relationships and development because we have to know you to meet you where you are and to help you solve an issue. Um, Lucky for us in fintech, there's this thing called artificial intelligence that also helps us with that as well, um, where you can actually see how communities are behaving or utilizing services and then meet them where they are. For example, you can have apps built within 
for example, within our, our, our application that can tell us, hey, this person is overspending every month. Yes, you have this safe um, overdraft protection up to $200 and things like that, but that, that should be an, an emergency thing. Um, and being able to work with people that way and investing in marketing from that perspective, it matters. Um, money's personal. Um, being poor is personal, right? Um, coming out of that is largely personal. That's one way. The second way, me, just as a professional, I have used my free time to write more, to publish articles, to just as me, Tony, not, not as a CMO, but as someone who cares and, and who, who knows things. For example, I wrote an article about six phrases you may be using that have racial undertones and you never knew. Peanut gallery grandfather clause, spirit animal, all of long time, no see, no can do. All of these sayings we've heard, we've used them innocently. They have really negative racial undertones, even tipping point. I've reached my tipping point. And break down, just break down just one of those for us. Sure. Um, So tipping point, great example. That was a word that was used to after segregation to describe when black people were moving into a white neighborhood. When you reached a tipping point, it meant there are too many blacks, the whites should move out. And it was coined that way. Same thing with grandfather clause. Grandfather clause had everything to do with whites who had grandfathers who could actually get them in. It was a privilege, it was a benefit. So we can be grandfathered in, you cannot. Those terms evolved. And many of us, including me, use them innocently. Even dreadlocks. When we describe someone's hair as dreadlocks, the word dread in front of it came from racial undertones. Locks is what they were called. Dread is what they became when they were in the U.S. More people started having them. You would dread to see that. I dread to see that. And sometimes the barriers are there and the walls are up simply by things we don't know. Hey, I didn't know that hurt your feelings. Let's talk about it, which is why I'm happy to have those uncomfortable conversations sometimes because they do move us forward. But many times we don't know this and maybe I've offended someone or hurt them or put something out there that's causing more harm. And I can stop it just by changing a few words. That's pretty easy. And so I've started doing lots of writing and just publishing, not again, hey, everyone's doing this wrong or we're all bad. It's it's nothing like that. It's like, hey, let's meet each other where we are. I love that. That that's it. Let's give each other a little bit of grace and let's just talk it through, right? Grace. I love that word. Oh, it's my favorite word. We just need so much more grace in this world. We really, really do. One of the questions that I always ask my guests is, when was there a time in your life when you felt like the other for whatever reason, whatever that might be? And you've already given us a a little hints of things here and there, but I'm wondering if there's a particular instance, circumstance that stands out in your mind where you were othered and it had a profound impact on you. What was that situation? What did you learn from it? 
And how are you using the lessons learned to show up in the world today? Sure. Um, I can think of a few times, but one that was definitely life-changing. I was midway in my career, so not not young, um, not an executive, but on my way. And I was in a meeting, the major Fortune 500 organization with their CEO and um, marketing team and, you know, a few people. And we're talking about strategies and it's a business to business company. And they said, you know, we want majority of the pie. We, we service small business, small to medium sized businesses. We want majority of them as our customers. And I said, okay, great. In order to reach majority of your customers, you have to speak to majority of your customers. He said, what do you mean? And this was soon after or right as we were coming out of the recession and, you know, there's there's new lifeblood potentially in the White House. So there are lots of conversations of Obama's first election. And even though this wasn't political, you, you start to feel now nah, this is getting political. And I said, well, if we look at the statistics of new business startups, majority of new businesses are being started by Blacks and Hispanics. We have no materials that target either audience, no materials with their faces, no materials in Spanish. There's a, there was a stat about how many speak Spanish first language. They said, you know, these are simple things that we can do to really speak to that audience. Linda, the CEO looked at me directly in my eyes and he said, I am more than happy with our audience from Fox News and the Golf Channel. I am not giving a dig to Fox News or the Golf Channel. That's not what this is. But what I did understand him to say is, look at the demographics of who watches that, and that's who I want to speak with. And I said, I I hear you. Those networks have given us results. But if you want majority of the pie, and majority of the pie is Black and Latin, we probably should address them. And he said, Tony, you're so smart and articulate, which let me tell you, Oof. don't tell that oh. when black people have to hear I'm articulate, it's like, oh my God. okay, here we go. He said, but you're on a limb and it's being sawed off. And I said, for bringing up multicultural marketing. And he said, yes, I don't want to repeat this. I am happy with our audience at Fox News and the Golf Channel. And it was that moment that I, in the back of my mind, I said, and my work is making your stock price go up? I don't think so. (laughs) But, you know, because you're like, oh, so what you're saying is you don't respect this audience. You don't want their business. It's not good. What You know what? It doesn't matter what you're saying. I get it. And I am going to make sure that I put myself in a position to be able to help someone through this so they see the importance and and how their ways are harmful, or so at least I don't have to deal with it because now this is a boundary for me. And now I have to question myself if I can continue to smile and take this and just do it and make your stock value go up, make your stock price go up, knowing that these are your feelings. And that's when I said, I have no no desire to be a big business mogul and have my own companies, but I need to start my own business. I I need to be able to work within a way that 
where I'm getting the respect I deserve and can use my expertise for good. But I felt like another and it was hard and there was no one in that room to have my back. And that happens entirely too much. And lucky for me, you've heard about my grandmother and my father. I've never been ashamed to use my voice, (laughs) Um, but but many of us can't, especially as black women, especially when we're the only one in that room, when we're the only one in the boardroom. We, we have, sometimes we feel like we have to go along to get along. And yeah. And so, so many would, would have, have, how long did you end up staying there? Do you remember? I stayed that? there after that incident. How long? Yeah. Maybe nine months. Yeah. And then, I had to be smart. You have yeah. to get your stuff together. Right. Make a plan. Stuff together, but it's like, okay, I, I need to, I, I'm capable of, of doing this myself. I need to put myself in a position where I'm valued and respected and I can utilize my talents and speak to the audiences that I, I want to speak to yes. and who deserve to be spoken to. Hello. Yes. You know, I mean, <laughs> oh my goodness. You can't, you can't be the number one if you're not going after the audience. <laughs> and I wonder if that person, that CEO, I don't know if he's still in the same position, but I wonder what kinds of conversations he's having today. He is still in the position. Interestingly enough, that company, after about a year into the agency I started, that company called me and said, hey, <laughs> I love love it. You. you've worked with us. And I said, I tell you what, I'd love to have a conversation. First, send a list to me of your any, any multicultural, Asian, Black, Hispanic, board members and executives, as well as women, send a list to me. And then I'll consider if you're the kind of company I'd like to work with. I'll be very fair. They sent a list to me with one name that was a woman. And that was that. And they didn't get my business. Good for you. I love that story. Oh, it just gives me chills. I love that story. I hope that, you know, young, young uh, business, young businessmen and women who are listening to this story will, will take away so many of the lessons that 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 story um, articulates. Um, Thank you so much for sharing that. It's, it's really, um, it's eye opening. It's eye opening. And, you know, a little while ago, you said you talked about the conversations that that you've been having with your friends in the wake of George Floyd and all of the racial unrest and everything that's going on in the country. And you said, it's not over yet. And I, not only is it not over, it's, I think it's just beginning. Mm-hmm. Really, I mean, in terms of um, having the kinds of conversations that we need to have, meeting each other where we are, giving each other some grace, um, but not being afraid to have the difficult conversations. And it's not just a one-off. It's not, okay, today we're gonna talk about this and then we never talk about it again. It's a process because what we're really trying to achieve here is, is is a shift in how we think about view and view each other and interact with one another. And that's not, that cannot change in one, two, or even three conversations. It's, it's a process that I believe is just beginning. I, 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 I definitely agree with you. Um, and I, 
I hope, though, that others realize these uncomfortable conversations and difficult situations, you're not alone. <laughs> We're going through them together. They are necessary, though, for change. We're talking about decades on decades on decades of, of thinking, because a lot of what, what is racism? It's thinking. It's not, it's not real, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. And if we're going to disrupt that, it's going to take multiple conversations and efforts. And you know what? It's okay. It's okay. Let's have them with grace, with diplomacy, with understanding and respect. But going through them can only have promise on the other side if we do it the right way. So we must try. We must. We absolutely must. And on that note, I'm going to ask you to to leave us with um, a sense of hope, if you will. Um, You know, what are what are your thoughts about um, our immediate future as a as a country and and maybe the and maybe the distant future? Um, Clearly, we have a lot of challenges in front of us and race is just one of them. We have many. Um, What are your thoughts? I always like to ask people to leave us with a sense of hope because we are in this together. You know, it's for the first time. It's. I, I don't I don't know where we're going or what's next. Right. Like usually you're like, oh, well, you know, the country's moving this direction or that. And it just seems like so many things are swirling and things that were never political or suddenly political. And, you know, things that we've always done are now questioned. And the one thing I say is at the end of the day, all of these issues, whether it's it's race, it's healthcare, we are ninety nine point nine percent the same. And most of our decisions are bigger than ourselves. And so we have to have that top of mind at all points in time. We're going through this together. Just because you're not Black doesn't mean your children aren't feeling the effects of racism in their classroom because they're seeing it elsewhere. Um, you know, we look at healthcare and what's going on. It doesn't matter which side you're on. We've seen people with loved ones passing away from COVID deaths then in many cases that could have been prevented. We, we have to remember at the end of the day, on the other side of all of this is us people, humans with feelings who are 99.9% the same. And hopefully we can use that 99.9% to come together to rally for meaningful change, not change for the sake of change, but meaningful change. And I believe we can do it. If there's one thing this country does know how to do, it is come together and, 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 and have a cause. Now, everybody's not always on the same side, but someone always rises to the top with that. And if we keep doing that and having these uncomfortable conversations, I don't know what the future holds, but I do believe it can be better than what we see right now. So beautifully said, and that is exactly why I wanted to have you on this podcast, because that's what we're all about, that human connection. We are so much more alike than we are different. And we just have to keep sharing our stories with each other until we finally see ourselves in each other. And yes. 
and we'll, and we'll get there. And so I know you're going to keep fighting the good fight. And so am I, and it is such a pleasure to have this time with you. Best of luck to Thank you. you and your colleagues as FAIR launches on September 15th. And we will, you know, keep you um, in front and center as you're going through this and, and wishing you the, the best and just keep in touch and let us know how things are going. Thank you. I definitely will. And thank you for having me on. I listen to your podcast all the time. I'm so inspired and moved by the stories. And when I, I got the chills a little bit when you asked me to join because it was, I'd love to. So, so thank you very much. Oh, that means so much to me. Thank you so much, my friend. You take care and be well. Okay. You too. Okay. As Tony says, let's continue to have these intimate, uncomfortable conversations and always with grace. Thanks so much for giving her permission to speak and for having the courage to listen with an open mind. We appreciate you being a part of the Our Voices Matter podcast family. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast, download on your platform of choice, like and share away. Thanks again, and we will see you next time. Thanks again to our sponsor, BMW of West Houston. There's a special offer for members of the Our Voices Matter podcast community. Just click the link in the show notes, bmwwest.com.